1: You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy.
0: Thank you. Um, you. I love the group of people that are showing up in the chat. Thank you for being here. (laughs) It's like Sunday brunch and we're breaking bread.
2: All the friends. (laughs) All the
0: friends. (laughs) I'm going to read a really short little excerpt from the book I've been working on that Freya has seen a little bit of um, in Sensorium. And I wanted to read this part because it sort of introduces our people, Bengali, Eastern Bengali Bangladeshi people. Um, And it's something that is still being explored in American fiction. So I just wanted to set that stage a little bit. Um, And her book obviously beautifully goes deeply into these histories um, as they exist in the main character, Talia. In January 2020, I retreated at a friend's house in Joshua Tree. Each morning I meditated, wrote by hand and did yoga asanas in the backyard beside the lone Joshua Tree. Its wayward branches cast a shadow like arboreal Durga for me to lay under for my Shavasana. After a week or so, I noticed that my scalp started to feel tender and I was losing giant clumps of hair each day. And within days, I felt cool air in one spot. I discovered a ball ring. Stress-related alopecia had me to come back. Heartbreak and money were the usual triggers. But this time I knew that my baldness was triggered by what I was reading. The text that had been written that the text that I was reading had been written in the last five years. And for the first time in my life, I learned ancestral histories too painful for my parents to teach me. I read about where my people hail from, the Eastern frontier of the subcontinent, long considered profane by priests and conquerors, a land where Buddhist and Hindu kingdoms flourished before Islam became the dominant faith, a land that holds memories of opulent textiles, Muslim and indigo, a land that holds the forgotten ancestral feminine and revolutionary history of India, a land severed by multiple partitions and renamings, East Bengal, East Pakistan. And as of 50 years ago, since 1971, Bangladesh. Each splitting has rendered Muslim and Dalit women, among them feminist writers and revolutionaries, invisible from a historic record of men's conquests. I read and I read. I read and I read, trying to absorb the suffering that my people have endured: cholera outbreaks, famines, floodings, rape, and arduous rehabilitation for survivors during the liberation war, a war that my parents together lived. Uh, my parents experienced together when they lived in a stick house overlooking a pond not yet lovers in lockdown, a war that holds our diaspora in a perpetual state of reckoning. Reading these narratives produced stress in my body, enough to trigger an autoimmune response. As children, my sister and I witnessed our grandmother's body contorted with trauma, merely remembering her dead son would trigger a spontaneous, rapid eye-blinking common for survivors of PTSD. Research suggests that trauma is recorded in our genes, and some scientists argue it's circumstantial and unprovable, there's no evidence. It's even undesirable to encode trauma as an inheritance in our body. I believe in science. I believe in the unknowable and the sacred. We may never be able to prove ancestral trauma is in our genes, but we all have proof that we need. We've inherited a world that our ancestors inhabited and were destroyed by. I lost hair, I lost my sleep, I lost my desire to eat as I read these histories. And then I tripped and I dropped a crystal a smooth white sphere of selenite that I keep on my writing desk, summoning the splitting of the moon, a miracle in Islam, one that has multiple interpretations, that Muhammad is a true prophet, that the day of judgment will split believers and infidels in two. From Surah al kamar the moon, the hour has come, the moon has split in two. They see a miracle. They turn away and say, this is passing magic. I prefer my own interpretation. The moon's dark side is unseen, but we know it's there the splitting of the moon, my body's unraveling, a portent of everything to come. That's it, thank you. (laughs) I
2: cried the first time I read that, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm crying again.
0: (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here too. Thank you for writing this book. (laughs) Yeah.
2: 18 years sorry i'm it's my first event <laughs> and i'm feeling so emotional
1: yeah.
2: as you know yeah i'm feeling it all um book writing is is no easy feat for the both of us and yet we do it we continue to do it mm-hmm. because we have to release whatever we have inside of us out there somewhere that has to go somewhere.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah, thank you for sharing that.
0: <laughs> thank you for listening. It feels so yeah. connected to what I just read of your book um, and the different versions I've read of it, so.
2: Yeah, so I guess we'll talk about that after. Yeah, after you read. <laughs> so I'll read, okay. <laughs> um hi everyone also this is so special this is really important thank you for for being here with me um i'm gonna cry a lot tonight so cool um i'm gonna read chapter nine uh from my book and um you'll get a sense of the story and you'll get a sense of the character the main character talia and it's really a story uh that i wrote over 18 years. Um, and it's a, it's a story very close to me. And I don't really know where it came from still to this day. Like, is she me? Or is she a uh, phantom me? Or is she my mother, which is a theory that I have? And, uh, or is she just the fractured dimensions of all the women that live inside of me? I don't know. Um, but so much of my life and soul went into this book. And it's a very intense process to put it out there now. Um, But yeah, I'm gonna read chapter nine and it's an interaction with her and her father, her Bengali father. We'd go to our house in the Catskills as often as we could. I loved that we had a home in nature, the trees, the cabins of iridescent design around us we were all beckoning with a life that I wanted to lead. Whenever we were up north, I felt for a time that I was sincerely alive. And it was there that I understood what infinity really was. I would look at the stars and dream of the impossibility of the universe, of the cosmos, On one of those trips, I became obsessed with Carl Sagan and asked Baba to find me books about string theory and quantum physics. He complied with my request. I felt there was so much beyond me. Without much to lose, in those moments, I felt purposeful. I can recall sitting at the edges of our patio, hanging from the timber like a stretching cat, I would find corners, lost sections, places I would carve as my very own and read for hours, turning pages with fingers or the nub of my nose. We owned a great big wooden house and everything was insanely symmetrical, lined and traced with the blades of the tree bark on the sides of the wall, a reminder that this world was theirs before it was ours. I heard Baba come up behind me, but we rarely talked, so I ignored him. I have something for you, he said. I was stunned, but I didn't turn around. It's a book. I quickly looked at him and it was true. In his hand, he held a small paperback, black with bright light blue swirls on the cover. It read, the elegant universe. I sometimes felt Baba to be a man in the military so composed, showing little to no emotion. Sometimes he'd pat me on the head, but today he smiled. I had a look inside, you know, it's very interesting. Over the years, he had developed a more Americanesque, transatlantic accent, and I liked hearing it. He gestured for me to come along, and we began walking down the steps toward the lake that was just a few yards south of our place. We were silent as we as we walked, but I cherished this time with him. We stopped at a bench and he sat down and looked at me, his eyes telling me to do the same. Baba communicated so much without words. I sat down as he spoke. I'm very scared of deep things, Talia, of deep unknown spaces. I didn't ask why. I always knew that if he wanted to tell me something he would. The ocean space. These things terrify me. I was amazed. My father never shared emotional anecdotes with us. Maybe it's because I don't know what's out there. I let that sap sit with me. I didn't know what was out there either. But I wanted to believe that whatever it was, it was something worthwhile. Life is cruel, Delia. You have to get used to not knowing that if you're prepared for that, then you're prepared for the worst. He looked at the ground, the lake was so still, a dark navy smudge like ink, a mystery. I sacrificed a great deal to get here, Talia. We were not a rich family, your Dalima and Daliji. They didn't have a lot of money, but they may do. They sent me to America to have a better life because that's what people in our culture do. They give their sons and daughters opportunities for a better life but they sacrificed a lot to get me here and I owe them everything. I wondered if he he was talking to me anymore. Nothing is as important as honor, Talia. I owe my parents everything and I will never forget that. This time he almost whispered it. Nothing is as important as honor. He didn't embrace me but instead left it there, that statement, to hang in the air, fragile and explosive in its honesty. As he said it, I'd remembered that that year previously, that the year previously, he'd uttered the same words. We were in a taxi van in Malaysia on our way to India, Alyssa holding on to Mama as we swerved to the airport. Earlier that day, I saw a man with no eyes hollowed out like ice cream scoops. I was ruminating over the way his waxy hands gripped onto my shirt. As I walked away, he was begging for money. Bubba looked at us, but also passed us, declaring one thing only. Don't plan your lives, girls. Don't ever plan your lives. That's it. That's what I'm gonna read.
0: I think, yeah, Mm -hmm. thank you for reading that. (laughs) How are you feeling? You're welcome.
2: I'm feeling good. Yeah, I'm feeling good. It's a really wild experience to put a book out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, so, you know, you've been writing this book for all told, you said 18 years, which is like, since you're a young teenager, right? and 12 12 so preteen preteen yeah pre-pubescent. Mm-hmm. um and i discovered you like my entire tribe of bangla and south asian femmes and queer people online and you've been writing on the internet since you were what 18 like no 20
2: 20 yeah 20 yeah so, so 10 years yeah
0: these are like two different processes and like different ways of releasing work. One is like very slow, Mm -hmm. takes a lot of excavation, and one there's like a quicker turnaround and there's more eyes on it and it's more instant gratification. So can you talk about like the process of weaving between the different forms? And you also have a very popular newsletter happening right now with your project Studio Ananda. So you write in multiple forms. Mm -hmm. How has that process been for you um, as a writer to write a novel?
2: I mean, it's the only, I mean, writing is really easy for me in a lot of ways. Like I find so much catharsis from it. Obviously I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't go so deep if it wasn't cathartic in some way, but it's also like, I feel deeply connected to my voice weirdly enough and so I think for me to channel it it's like it's like pulling taffy or something like it's very like it's there's a flow and it's like you know at times it's sticky and gooey <laughs> but then it's but there's like a flow and it's just you you're stretching it out and I think that n- novel writing and book writing you know, I'm writing my first nonfiction as are you. Like, you know, it's all kinds of book writing is definitely more arduous. Like, you want more detail than you would, like, in a newsletter. You know, I think I'm really lucky that I have been able to write about so many different things and therefore really been able to stretch myself and shrink again, and then stretch again. And I like that. um,
0: Waxing and weight.
2: Yeah, and like, I like that, um, that relationship to writing, like the energy of, of what I of what I get, just even writing my newsletter versus writing a novel, like, it's obviously different, and it's different feats. And there's so many different energies at play. But I like, I like challenging myself in different mediums.
0: Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that really um, emerges from your book in the process of reading it is this like very intense journey that this young person endures. So Talia, as all of you will find out when you read this book, because you've ordered it and you're reading it right now, um, (laughs) is that she endures neglect and a horrific act of violence. And I think like that shapes this narrative in a way where she's sort of cleaved out of the family and needs to find her own way. Mm -hmm. And this idea of alienation right now, we're all feeling it so acutely, like we all feel so alienated um, in the world that we're living in. So can you talk a little bit about how, you know, this character kind of experiences this violence and how you wanted to render her I don't want to call it redemption. I mean, it's not, that word is not the right word. I think it's like her finding her life again, like being back in her body again, like actually finding people who will be there for her. It's that process like of getting into alienation and and moving out of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, to, to write truly enough, you have to write it honestly, and so to find those feelings in yourself, and to find those feelings of alienation in your in your life and in your memory, it's really sad. It's really it's really shocking, um, and I think I encourage everybody to do that—not just artists. I think it's really really important to confront those things in your life. And so much of what we gain and what we what becomes trauma are such. Are such these are often just like very ephemeral moments mm-hmm. you know or like what we consider just like off the cuff just like you know that's why there's like this obsession with oversensitivity as like a bad thing um when in fact it teaches you so much to actually be sensitive and to actually react to have a reaction to something um and so like you know I forget this often, but I started writing it at 12 because I was depressed and I didn't want to kill myself. So I started writing. I mean, it's as simple and as basic as that. Mm-hmm. I literally wrote it to survive. Um, and I forget that conception because like, it has become a different thing in a lot of ways. Um, I need it less, but like, I'm so glad it's out there. Like, of course I wrote this book for myself, but like I need it less than I did when I was 12. And even at that like age, I understood the absolute shock of not being able to be loved and protected and cared for. Like that was so much my own experience, but then to like see it on a page and see it outside of myself made me feel like I had a friend or like a comrade in what I was experiencing and the abuse that I was experiencing in different ways.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, But I wrote it because I also, I needed her to survive. I needed to see her survive. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And around the time that I watched, sorry, I I was writing this, I was watching Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is still to, to this day, my favorite movie. And there's a scene where the two main characters, Joel and Clementine, are underneath um, some covers and they're having this like really secret, beautiful moment. And Clementine is sharing the story of having a doll and and making her ugly every night before she went to bed, like smashing in her face, and then the next morning she's beautiful again. And how like that really, I understood that even at fourteen, like the the desire and the want to. Be better to get better to be saved you know like the days that i was just praying to be saved
0: yeah, yeah. when you thought you weren't going to be able to live another day mm-hmm. yeah yeah that really pulses through the book i feel like um one of the most interesting kind of uh I don't even know if you were thinking of it as a technique. Like, I think the nature of memory, and I'm writing about this too, so I feel it a lot, is like the fragmentary nature of it, and especially traumatic memory, it allows us to have distance from what we've experienced because it's only remembered in a spurt and time is no longer linear, we're not bound to what Mm. happened, the narrative Mm -hmm. shifts in our imagination. So you play a lot with time and you actually like, Drop very huge things like in the middle of what feels like linear time, and then it, we're taken out of it, and then we learn something new. And that really felt like an effective way of mimicking, um, mimicking. I don't know. It's just living like how we actually embody our memories that cause us pain. So, you talk a little bit about, you know, just memory and time throughout your book like how does it kind of um how do you move
2: i'm obsessed with memory and time obviously like it comes up so much in my work in general but one of the reasons i think i'm so obsessed with it is because i question my own memory all the time you Mm -hmm. know like i think when you, you you do you know especially when you survive things all this stuff you you question your memory you you wonder whether or not like you are able to really have a clear conception of a moment in time and that was something that just became an incredible motif for me to explore because like she has this idea and this is exactly kind of like what has happened with my own relationship to my parents like you have certain ideas about who your parents are and then it rapidly changes throughout your life For many different reasons, and it goes X, Y, Z, so many different places. And to me, like, you know, she is absolutely dealing with neglect. But towards the end of the book, there are moments. I don't think this is like giving away too much, but there are moments where she's really questioning and replaying and replaying, like, what was that? Was this a moment of neglect? Mm and you have to do that to a certain degree to just like also keep yourself in check and and keep your your memory clean and clear and i think doing work and therapy all encourage those things and those ends but for me like it was really really fun to firstly like i'm not writing a traditional book and that's because i don't fucking want to write a traditional book i don't give a fuck about the ways that books are written it's so it's so boring to me actually, you know, and like the writing world is so constricting and like it, it's, and, and I, I often just, am just, I struggle because I don't want to play by the rules and someone could look at my work and be like, well, <laughs> you suck, <laughs> you're not a very good writer. And I don't know, I maybe I'm not, I honestly don't know, but like, I wanna write the way that I wanna write. That's all I know. And 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 I want to write in a way that's interesting to me, and something that feels honest and true, and not just a rep replica of something else.
0: I want to uh, bring up my next thing that we talk we talk about a lot. Um, so, as Bangla Muslim femme people from Bangladesh, uh, we're sort of like uh, charting new landscape and frontier. And to what you just said, your point about not wanting to write what's been written, most of the American fiction landscape um, has been Indian upper caste voices that have shaped that part of the world, Um, which we write in conversation with. Not that it's a two-way conversation, but it's still a conversation that we're a part of. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we write against it, too, because we're writing about things that have not been written about in Mm -hmm. that context. But interestingly enough, you've chosen to make these characters Indian. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is actually an Indian dude. So I'm always like, oh my God, he's such an Indian. And it actually, it's really, I, at first, I remember when you showed me an earlier draft, I was like, okay, what's this choice about? Like, why aren't you writing us? And then rereading it, I was like, oh, shit, like, we have studied these people, (laughs) like passed as these people,
2: pretended
0: to know what these people fucking know the whole fucking time. And of course, as a writer, you're going to write what you observe and know. It's not just your experience. And I think that's actually a really beautiful choice. So what I wanna ask is, how do you kind of navigate from your position right, which is othered in different ways and contexts, even though it comes from such a like very deep legacy um, in history. How do you navigate this mixed race character who's coming from a background that is Indian, Bengali, Hindu, a mother who's white, American, Jewish, like definitely groups that have kind of existed in American fiction, but I'm not sure if ever imagined by a Bangladeshi Muslim femme person. So I think that like to me was a fascinating choice, but it made a lot of sense. So I just want to talk about your decision for that and the process behind that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that that idea of what you were just saying about like what this we've studied these people, we've we know them, and I think we were emulating them for I mean, at least I was when I was younger. I mean, Bengali, Indian Bengali Hindus are like sort of this like, you know. They're put on a pedestal, like cultural pedestal, you know. And like all of the all of the most known Bengali people from Tagore to Satyajit Roy are all Hindu Bengali, and so, and there is like a certain access that they have that we don't. Chhunpulihari, you know, like there's so many of the, of these icons that are out there, and I think because I started writing at such a young age, that was my frame of reference for somebody who was wealthy. And someone who was of a certain prestige and and comfort level you know and i i really love her parents relationship because it's also like they're so in love in so many ways like there's there's a lot of like strangeness to it but this pursuit of whiteness this like adopted pursuit of whiteness that they're both on is such an integral part of the story as well and like mm-hmm. that in juxtaposition to talia's like redefinition of who she is and who she wants to be outside of this gaze of her parents is i think a really particular and interesting tension that we haven't seen and it's not that that character couldn't be Bengali and muslim it's just that it wouldn't be true to this vision i had when i was writing the story for the first time
0: and so in a way i feel like i feel like you can really um write as an observer not just like writing what you know like i feel like that's always the theme of, do i write what i know do i not write what i know i think that's why non-fiction has been so challenging for me it's like hmm. that breath that you have with fiction in the space with fiction or even poetry um like nonfiction doesn't give you that and you've written a lot of non I mean, most of your writing I read before Like a Bird, I would say, is nonfiction, um, before mm-hmm. your poetry collection. So yeah, thank you for answering that. Um, I think like this other uh, like thing that we've talked about just between us is kind of like finding each other, finding our tribe, finding people who feel our work. Like I have conversations with young people I don't even know who are going through things I've been through, and I feel like I can offer a source of light and just, you know, my experience. And I think you do that a lot for people all the time. So, yeah, tell us about what that feels like and how you hold that kind of role that you're ascending into and deepening um, as a person who. Has pro offered people who've survived trauma and very deep familial wounding a way to heal through reading your work? Um, Like, how do you hold that work and take care of yourself and, you know, live in a way that's true to you? Um, It's an
2: everyday mission. Like, there's no answer to that that's, like, complete. You know, it's an everyday mission, as is life. You're constantly evolving, you're constantly changing, and you're constantly reacting to the situations. And all I will say is that it is a deep fucking honor to do the work that I do. Um, In so many ways, I think people weren't there to help us both you know, in our careers, I think, at least from the folks that you really wanted to help you and like mm-hmm. to have a relationship that we have is a dream. It's like the most powerful mm-hmm. thing, you know, and I think all of my closest friends right now, I feel is sort of like just deep awareness and understanding and alignment, you know, and I think that is all part of the mission of, and the work uh, because You know, like I could say a lot of corny things about like the work chose me and like, you know, like <laughs> but, I mean, in a way it's sort of true. Like I think that you go where the inspiration takes you. And and like I write I write purely for myself and in hopes that other people relate to it. But like mm-hmm. I'm writing for me. Whether I'm writing a fucking poem or I'm writing a newsletter, or I'm writing a novel, or I'm writing nonfiction. I'm writing for me. I'm writing to to protect me, to save me, and so that's maybe like my my self care, my most consistent form of self care. And of course, like I have like practices that I do, but to survive and live, like especially in the changeability of this climate and this world, um, it's so hard to feel good every day. Um, <laughs> We're being pushed and challenged in a way that we didn't think was humanly possible. So we evolve, so we tip over and something clicks and something shifts. And that is the big, I think one of the big lessons of the pandemic for me at least is to like, it's just to understand that whatever you can do, whatever you can commit yourself to to being better I, I, and not just as a writer to being better as a human being to, to, to understand that like writers are, are 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 here to pave the way in so many ways and you know Octavia Butler is a perfect example of that you know of thinking about survival again because this is a, it's really that's what it comes down to and now we're trying to survive climate literally you know and like we are facing an apocalypse an environmental apocalypse and there's so many things that we're we're constantly shifting and 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 being a being forced to look at things that we were so happily in denial of and that to me because I'm ruled by Saturn is really really great and I love it so much <laughs> and I'm not even being sarcastic like I do love it like it's so it's so to do the work is the isn't is an honor. It really is. And maybe that's that's all I can take with me most days. Like, at least I get to do
0: what I came here to do. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. All right. So does anyone have any questions for Faria? I'm going to look at this little ask a question. Okay, so Fariha, can I read this to you? Mm -hmm. Um, From our lovely Safia brilliant Safia. Hi, baby. (laughs) <laughs> okay. um, Fariha, how did the book change over the 18 years of writing it? What elements of your past 18 years have helped shape the final version of this book?
2: Um, okay, so, let's read the last part again.
0: Sorry. Um, Fariha, how did the book change over the 18 years of writing it? What elements of your past 18 years have helped shape the final version of this book?
2: Hmm. I mean, you, you had a huge, you had a huge, huge, whenever I tell any of you about the last couple of months, like you play such an important factor in this. And it's, it, it was really because you, you told me things that I needed to hear. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm forever. I mean, this is the, this is our, our sacred contract that we have with one another. So we're really lucky that we both love each other this much. Um, and also, just like healing, healing, believing in healing. It was a really like, I mean, in so many ways, it was such a simple conception of like getting better when i was young you know like you find a man or you know you you you, you just like get married and then it all you, you figure it out you fall in love and then of course that's not my life anymore um i don't <laughs> i don't i don't like those aren't the things that like rule me or define me anymore so like um you know, really sort of thinking outside of the convention of like heteropatriarchy, I guess, you know, and like the ways in which the patriarchy has enforced this idea of narrative, you know, like one, most books about books written by men where women are written about are so lacking. I mean, we know this because we read these fucking books and there is this obsession with this male archetype um, and lead character. And yeah, okay, they're complicated and whatever. like you know, sure. But there's never that complexity really landed or allowed, like allowed to be explored, I think, in, in, in particular ways. And like for me, it was really just important to tell my truth and my experience and have that be reflected in, in the everydayness of how Talia, Talia lives. You know, whether it's her relationship with Kat, whether it's her relationship with Daphne, like, you know, whether it's this like dwind- dwindling love relationship, like there's so many things that I feel were affected by my radicality and my like the ways in which I became ra- a, a radical person, I guess. Mm-hmm. My politics. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the things that I think affected at least the last decade of writing it. Thank you.
0: Thank um... you. There's another question here. When writing about family-related trauma, question for both ladies. I'm a lady, huh? Um, (laughs) What was the process (laughs) like when you shared this with your parents and how receptive were they of the message you were intending to share? Do you wanna wanna answer that first and then I'll say what my part is?
2: I don't talk to my mom anymore, so I didn't get any of that. Um, My dad hasn't read it, neither of my neither of my parents have read it they know i've been writing it obviously for 18 years um my sister's read early 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 drafts and it's funny like the other day i was talking to her and i was just like um you know talking about how long it took to write this book and how like i'm finally at the stage where i can like be proud of it and it took so long it took 18 years and she's just like no i read it when you were like 15 and it was great and i was like (laughs) no, that's not true, it was bad. And she kept fighting me on it and it was just a really interesting, it was really powerful and in, and in, in, in just the fact that like, so many people can take different things from the story. You know, like I'm looking at this as a writer, of course, being obsessed with how it's gonna be taken critically, whether I want to or not, there's always this like, I'm a fucking Capricorn, I can't escape it. There's always this like lingering feeling of like, am I a failure? And then of course, like ultimately the only thing that I have with this book is that I wrote it, I committed myself to writing it and I finished it. And that in itself is just such a huge feat. Um, And I have to be really proud of myself for doing that. Um, I didn't really answer the question though, I don't think, but um, well, maybe I did.
0: dad doesn't read the stuff. (laughs) Like my dad does not read my shit either um because he's yeah. just i can't handle this and i don't want him to read anything i ever write um and then my yeah. mom actually in my instance she does read but before i write about um survivorship rape trauma anything like that we have a little conversation we check yeah. in
2: good
0: and it's just like uh hey i'm writing something that's gonna make you upset yeah. just but when she shares it with, uh, she's in a lot of blogger communities in Bangladesh and she shares stuff I write and then people vibe with it and are like really, um, I think she's like feels relieved that people want to talk about these difficult topics that no one talks about, so. Uh, Exactly. (laughs) Um, Okay, so another question is, how did those who read the various drafts um or edit respond to the story and talia's character particularly talia Um, sorry did i read that right so yeah how did they respond to her character at least where i'm at in the book i enjoy how complex she is and how she can be difficult as a person did you face pushback with having a complicated young woman as your protagonist, an imperfect survivor, which I personally love about Talia and the book? So this goes kind of to the g- general cultural conversation around like the unlikable character, or the difficult character. Yeah. No, don't worry, Tara. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I just read the question wrong. So, yeah. What's the process of writing a character that's not just like a moving lovable character but someone who because i also was like oh my god stop making these horrible decisions kid i'm gonna like get so mad at you um but then i was like no you're you're going through a lot <laughs> you've been through horrible stuff i can't get mad at you. so I was like how do you navigate um like writing this character
2: it's it's my fucking life. i was in that's when i was in my early 20s like i was like doing dumb shit i was taking a lot of drugs i was doing i was just like not embodied at all and like i have shame but i also don't because i'm just like it's especially when you go through extreme extreme trauma you don't want to look at it so you're gonna do whatever you can to look away and I think that that is really important. You know, we are not just one dimensional and we are not just, I think the pursuit of goodness is a really important one that we should explore more and unpack more because I think all of us, um, or I can just talk about you and I, like we are on this pursuit of of spiritual enlightenment. You You know, we're deeply connected to the divine Mm -hmm. Those things are very important for us. That's again, like an everyday experience and you do things along that ride where you're like, "Mm, I wasn't really my best self today, damn. Um, And you have to call yourself out and you have to sit with that and you have to take accountability. And I think Talia is in this like very early formation of her freedom. She barely knows what it is. And she is trying to conceive a place and a planet that will accept all of her dimensions. So of course she's gonna make a terrible life choices because that's what we all do. I think it's um, really
0: deep how her rejection by her parents, which is something that I'm sure so many young people ask you about. <laughs> yeah. Ask about that too. But it's like how our parents let us fucking down when we're going through stuff and they don't know how to parent us because they're such narcissists and they don't even know how to deal with us because they're not dealing with themselves. So I feel like you really address that by showing us that in her her parents as well. Like Mm -hmm. they're also kind of going through their journey where they're not Mm -hmm. really showing up. I'm -hmm. gonna um, fold some questions together because we have nine more minutes. Um, Shreya and Fariba have questions that go together. Aww. (laughs) Uh, two homies. (laughs) Fariba says, what do you hope for readers to take from the book and how does it feel different or similar to putting out poetry? And then Shria asks, how did you know your book was finished? How did it feel for you to know that it was ready for the world? So I feel like, you know, it's like the different forms that you're playing with, but also knowing when something's ready to be released, um, which I feel like I witnessed part of the process for Like a Bird. So...
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you ever really know if something's ready. Um, I think you just get sick of it. <laughs> like You're like, oh, I have to just put this out, though. And also a deadline helps if your editor is just like, this is the deadline, and you're like, okay. Like, there is an acceptance to that um, method, I think. And, like, ultimately one day you just have to you have to give it to them. <laughs> you have to give that manuscript or that draft, you know. And mm-hmm. I think Michaela Cole's, I May Destroy You. I know that we kind of wanted to talk about it late, you know, potentially, but like, she like, you know, the fact that she's a writer, I mean, it's about her life and what she went through, but the fact that she's a writer on a fucking deadline as these things are happening to her, I think was just such a powerful thing to see Um, because sometimes you are working in real time um, you're writing in real time, you know, obviously, and you're 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 processing in real time. Um, so yeah. Um, I mean, how is it different to it? Was that the first question? How is, that is it different it? to
0: poetry? We shouldn't have folded them all. Because <laughs> I'm like, how do I, I try to get all of our friends questions? <laughs> and Aria also asked
2: a question. So I was
0: like, okay, uh, cool. Okay, Okay, let
2: me, let me do this. How does it feel different or similar to putting out? I mean, mm, I think it feels, I think it feels bigger. It feels scarier. It feels like, oh shit, like this is, this is it. But then also I'm don't care. You know, I'm always like two things at once, you know, like I really don't care about the industry. Like (laughs) I shouldn't say that out loud, but I like don't like, I don't know if they'll ever accept me as I am, and I don't want to change. Is basically like what I'm feeling. That's that's the way that I navigate the industry, and I want to write. Yeah, like what I want to write,
0: and I want to write in space. And and the other piece of that was, how did you know it was finished after 18 years? Yeah, I guess I was was ready for the world, but you kind of did touch on. I did. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we have another question. Hi, Zara Rahman, um, for both of us. What advice do you have for young Bangladeshi femme writers? So this is a great question because, you know, we're kind of working with our own roadmaps. There's people who've come before us. I'm discovering them now. Um, I guess I can say a little bit and then for me, honestly, to feel alone was like a really messed up feeling because it's not even the truth. Like. There's Tarfia Faizullah, Abir Haq, like people who are now my friends, but that are writing beautiful work. And also our foremothers who have been writing work since the early 1900s, who are virtually unknown to us because of translation and because, you know, bangla from east bengal like accessing literature written by muslim and dalit women from east bengal was not as easily disseminated so i think part of our journey is to find the other frontiers women and femmes who imagined uh the world around them and what they wanted to write about whether it was fiction i mean obviously like roki who uh, hussein is like a an author who is like a beacon for us, who wrote Sultana's Dream, a science fictional short story in 1905, the year that uh, Bengal was partitioned. And discovering that story as a young person, like it blew my mind and heart open. So I feel like for me, it's about realizing you're not alone. Um, And Zara, if you're writing, like we're here, like every generation is pushing us forward in some ways, but then you realize there's no time because we're also honoring what has already happened. So it's like mm. kind of dissolving that idea of, oh, we're starting from lacking and we're growing. It's like, no, you already have abundance. You're just chipping away to discover that abundance. It's already there. That's
2: a great answer. I'm,
0: I'm really like, right. I don't want to say anymore. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> wait, let me see who else. Uh, OK, Fatima. Yeah. Hi, Fatima. Um, my love. So, Fatih uh, Fati says, Hey, babe. <laughs> My <laughs> hey. My question is regarding critique, particularly mm-hmm. on the form project. Thinking of what you just said about Tanaeus being able to give you critique that you were able to incorporate into your novel, but also what you said about straddling wanting to write something outside of the traditional confines of craft and literature. What's your barometer on listening to critique, letting it grow you? and also understanding when the critique doesn't resonate with you and listening to yourself. Amazing I love this question.
2: question. Yeah, amazing question. question. Yeah. I mean, it was so easy to, I mean, you told me later that you were really scared to give me all the critique, but like when you were not giving, giving it to me.
0: It's not a fun thing to do. <laughs> I was
2: like just, well, I just like, get the zone. I know, and and you told me over like an hour, right? An hour and yeah. a half. I had my glasses on, that on the phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, on the first time, yeah, and what you were saying was so potent because you were able to decipher and locate exactly what I was feeling, you know, like, it was, and that's why I wanted you to read it, like, I I knew that you would get it, and I knew that I needed to, to have your opinion before I put this out there Um, it's because I'm a huge fan of Bright Lines and it's also because like you know we are of a similar ilk and we understand each other on multi-dimensional levels you know and like especially in writing like I feel like you're somebody that I really um, value and needed for like a bird in particular um so I think the reason why it was easy is because yeah it was a reflection of something that I wasn't yet able to articulate and I think that when you do start building this understanding and knowing inner knowing and inner um dialogue with yourself you have a barometer naturally put into your soul and it becomes this like you are able to then like be the decider and like see what it's like a it's like a muscle or a gut test of like what feels right and what what doesn't and I think like I apply that to like every way that I interact with my life but also in my art like if it doesn't feel right in my gut I won't do it and I also have clear visions most of the time with my work and if I don't then like maybe I'm a little more flexible about what people have to say as well Um, and maybe that's when I want more more of a like bouncing of ideas I enjoy that more like a conversation Mm -hmm. if I don't it felt like a dialogue
0: but it also felt like you already like when I was telling you what I thought you already kind of were feeling it it's almost like when you hear critique especially loving critique or like from like right now my novel that I have sort of been working on Tarfia Faisal is looking at my novel for me, like that to me is helping me look at it in a new way. So it's like finding readers you trust is like a very mm-hmm. um trust. Yeah, it's a huge relationship. So I feel like, that's not always going to be a reader who's like, I love it. You're a brilliant genius. I love this. is great." It's like, no, it's like this resonated, this didn't, maybe you can try this. And the person reading also has to offer something that's loving. I think um, what I find a lot, and I mean, we grew up in a diaspora that will tell you in two seconds, like, oh, how you look isn't okay. How you talk isn't okay. You're like, I grew up with a lot of critique. Like critique is not, not new. It's not new to me. Um, And I think that the point is, yes, we will not be able to write every story and say everything in the perfect way. The point is that you're trying to chip away at something that's true to you as an artist and hopefully that resonates with people. And it might offend people and it might make people feel like you failed and people let you know if you failed, just go on Goodreads. So it's like, (laughs) that's like the thing that I feel like we as readers of each other's work that read with critique and care, um, we have to, it's not just protecting ourselves from the world, it's just like really trying to understand what you sought out to do. And I feel like reading your work allowed me to figure out what you were trying to do and help you see what you're trying to do.
1: Um,
0: Okay, there are no more questions, I don't think. We don't even have time. Eve, do you want to jump back in? <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: I think this would be a great way to end this discussion. Um, thank you to you two both. This was great.
0: Um, thank you. Do you have
2: any final words before we go? Um, please pre-order the book. It comes out on Tuesday, and um, it would really mean a lot to me if you bought it um, and supported me and Skylight, because I know that Skylight's getting, like, um, I'm like sending some signed copies. So you guys are gonna have signed copies. And then of course, through Unnamed, my publisher, who big shout out, I love you guys. Um, yeah, this book is like my heart.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you could press the
2: green button below us to order. Yay. Okay. Yay, thank you all. Amazing, wow, uh, we did it. Love you.
0: As soon love as we go, you. know,
2: um, this will be recorded and everyone can watch it. Um. But, yeah, thank you all thank for you.
1: joining us. Bye, you Bye. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.
0: I see.